how good is it to be in church this morning? Yeah, I love being down here. Um, it reminds me of my first church in Torquay. It's small, it's a close little family, and I absolutely love being here. So uh, thank you for allowing me to share the Word of God with you this morning. Now, an interesting fact that I saw on Facebook this morning, somebody here actually posted that with this new Pokemon Go craze, that Bayside Frankston is actually part of that, is a Pokestop. So what I'm going to do is I want everyone to take your phone out and I want you to put it on the floor in front of you. There's going to be no playing Pokemon Go for the next little while. And this benefits everybody that has a paper Bible this morning. It's, uh, it's retro round in the AFL, so it's a retro morning here at Bayside. So the title of my message this morning, for those taking notes, is Redemption Through Rejection. And on the surface, that may sound like they don't really go together. But what I want to do is show how the rejection that Jesus endured led to the redemption of his people and how that applies to us today. So we're going to get a little bit real at times this morning, if that's okay. So if you have your Bible, open it up to Matthew chapter 12, verse 22. We're going to read a chunk. We're going to read it in chunks as we go this morning. First, I'm going to pray. Father God, I thank you that we can be here this morning, that we can freely come and just come to you and, and, and hear your voice, Lord God. And I just pray that you would speak through me and, and speak through the worship team when they come back up later, as you have been already, Lord God. And so I just thank you for what you're going to do. In Jesus' name, amen. So a little bit about me. I grew up in Geelong, uh, born and bred Geelong boy. Uh, I'm not from a Christian family. I'm the only one uh, in immediate and extended. And so is uh, my wife, Emma. So we're starting, I guess, our own Christian legacy. And so I look forward to seeing how that, uh, that plays out. And I've got, uh, <laughs> I've got two younger siblings, um, and my parents did what they could to look after us. And I look back now, and I was probably the cause of a lot of the issues growing up. I'm the oldest, uh, was a bit of a, a smart mouth. But I look back now and realise that through my teens, a lot of my issues stemmed from my own rejection. All through school, so primary school, high school, I was bullied, I was rejected, I was considered inferior to a lot of other people. And after, the, uh, after a while, when you hear the words worthless, useless, won't amount to anything, not good enough, inadequate, wearing glasses is a bad thing, when you hear them enough, they become your identity your reality. You clothe yourself in those things. And sometimes you want to try and change yourself to be different. So I took on those words and I listened to those voices. And I made an effort to change who I was in a way that I thought would be more acceptable to the people around me. But that's the thing with the world. It doesn't work that way. No matter how much we try to change ourselves and fit into the world, something will always find a way to tear us down. See, rejection takes many shapes and forms these days, so much so that it has become a source of humour among people. Now, I'm not going to condemn that humour because I'm guilty of it as much as some people are, but we need to check the reality 
of our heart in these times. See, the things we say can have a profound effect on others, no matter how inconsequential we think the words are. And so can our actions. See, the rejection is just as significant when it's our actions as opposed to words. Think back through the years as to the times when some people would say one thing in private, but then out in public in a big group, they're totally different. You guys seen that happen? So the thing about rejection is that it consumes a person and it's so easy for us to slide into a pattern of rejecting people because of our own rejection. We take it as the norm. You take it on as truth and it becomes your identity. Who here has been called names or assigned labels that hurt, that leave you feeling rejected and not good enough? Yeah, I'm, I'm with you on that. Through my life and my journey with God, I've come to understand this truth. We are not defined by who people say we are, but we are defined by who God says we are. The thing is, as born-again Christians who have put our faith in Jesus, our identity is founded in Him, or so it should be. So why do we sometimes seek validation and appreciation from the world? We need to check, are we, do we want to be loved by the world or loved by God? So procrastinating a little bit from my message and um, I, I found a, a, a sentence in one of my old journals that I really, really liked and um, it's, it's funny how God can use something like procrastination to benefit it and so the sentence is, the voice you listen to will determine the reality you experience and it got me thinking about the voices that I listen to and the voices that society listens to. I mean, with social media and news media being so readily available, sometimes we're dictated to by what we read. And working in communications at Bayside, I'm on social media all the time and I'm on the web all the time. So I see the things that people say that bring others down and they're, and they're intent on doing that. You know, we get jaded by the rejection of our faith. We take on popular views. We get rejected because of our culture, our race, our choice of footy team, all sorts of things. It's easy for a voice that triggers fear, insecurity, rejection or isolation to get a foothold in our life. 1 Peter chapter 2 verse 7 says, Now to you who believe this stone is precious, but to those who do not believe, the stone the builders rejected has become the cornerstone. This might sound a little weird, but this scripture leaves me relieved. See, this scripture shows that some choose to accept the cornerstone, which is Jesus, and others choose to reject it. And while I know that God wishes for none to, to perish, and nor do I, I'm relieved because Jesus gets it. He's been through the ridicule. He's been through the two-facedness of people. He's been through the rejection. So when we feel rejection, we need to understand that, that he gets it. He's endured that, and he endured it for us. And he doesn't want us to endure it alone. And throughout Scripture, there are numerous examples of when Jesus has been rejected, of when his people have been rejected. And all the way through, God redeems his people, regardless of what they have gone through. And even when I first accepted Jesus in the early days, when I was discovering and understanding my faith and my relationship with him, I was still confined to being dictated to by that rejection, still not thinking I was good enough. I didn't believe I had more to offer than that for quite some time. 
But the thing about what Jesus did is that while he died for our sins, he also died for our shame, our embarrassment, and all the negative things that have been spoken to or about us. All the things that prevent us from stepping into our God-given potential and purpose were nailed to the cross with Jesus. And our main scripture today, as I said earlier, is Matthew 12. And it tells a story of one element of rejection that Jesus endured. And with it is some great truth on how his rejection brought us redemption. So Matthew chapter 12, verses 22 to 24 says, Then they brought him a demon-possessed man who was blind and mute, and Jesus healed him so that he could both talk and see. All the people were astonished and said, Could this be the son of David? But when the Pharisees heard this, they said, It is only by Beelzebul, the prince of demons, that this fellow drives out demons. It's interesting how the rejection takes place in this instance and what is actually being rejected. So let's look at the healing. We have this man who is a total helpless case. He's demon-possessed, which is bad enough in anyone's language. And on top of that, he's also blind and mute. The imagery here, I think, is important. See, he could neither see as a means of helping himself nor speak to ask for help. And how often does that happen when we're feeling isolated, rejection, and we're, we're, fear, we're, we're feeling fear? You see, this is what Satan does. He blinds the eyes of faith and silences the lips of prayer and worship. There is the cause, which is the demon, and a definite effect of being blind and mute. So who's seen this in their life? When things aren't going well, you, you, you feel trapped, like you can't speak out, you can't reach out. I know that feeling. See, Jesus sees it, and he's in the business of removing those wedges and giving us second chances. What we see Jesus do in this story is take away the cause through a miraculous healing. He casts out the demon and he heals the man. And so by removing the cause, there is now no effect remaining, as it says the man can now see and he can speak. So when Satan's power is broken inside a person, eyes are open to see God's glory and lips are free to speak his praise. This doesn't seem like something worthy of rejection, does it? And that's not, how the, that's not how the world works sometimes, especially when it comes to Christianity. And it was no different 2,000 years ago for Jesus with the Pharisees. See, whenever rejection happens, we see the above process. We become numb to things. We lose our sight and our voice. We don't see things as they really are. And the rejection starts to consume us. We identify with it and it closes us off from the truth. We can't see the thing right in front of us that can actually help us get that breakthrough and to step out of this place. Or, or alternatively, we don't feel worthy of that thing. And the Pharisees couldn't see it either. They were so intent on, on re pouring through the scriptures, like they were well read and they're looking for this Messiah, but they just couldn't see it in Jesus. And they went out of their way to reject him and persecute him. You know, they were blinded by their egos. They thrived off of and were so used to receiving the recognition for their understanding of the scriptures and what they did in society that they couldn't handle it when the recognition came to somebody else that they deemed inferior. They assigned the miracles that Jesus did in his power and the authority of his father, and in this case, this healing of the demon-possessed man, to Beelzebul, so aka Satan. 
When Jesus drives the demons from this man, when he calls us into his marvelous light and out of darkness, he ties up the strong man of this world, Satan. He drove out the evil spirits by his word. And by doing so, he gives the world encouragement that no matter how hard the devil may try to get a foothold in our life or try to convince us that the words and opinions of man are right and true, that he has overcome the world, he is greater than the power in the world and that his opinion is the only one that carries weight and that matters. Amen? So the way that Jesus responds gives us confidence when we face the same. He was sure of his identity, and so we need to be sure of ours. And so we continue the story. Verses 25 to 30. Jesus knew their thoughts and said to them, Every kingdom divided against itself will be ruined, and every city or household divided against itself will not stand. If Satan drives out Satan, he is divided against himself. How then can his kingdom stand? And if I drive out demons by Beelzebul, by whom do your people drive them out? So then they will be your judges. But if it is by the Spirit of God that I drive out demons, then the kingdom of God has come upon you. Or again, how can anyone enter a strong man's house and carry off his possessions unless he first ties up the strong man? Then he can plunder his house. Whoever is not with me is against me, and whoever does not gather with me scatters. What Jesus says here is profound it's something we all know that a divided house cannot stand but it does require a reality check the principle is an appropriate one for all of life if you're in a workplace and there are competing goals and visions then ultimately the workplace won't thrive and it won't succeed or in a footy team you know there's the there's the concept of a champion team is superior to a team of champions. See, a team of champions play for themselves. Yes, they have an idea of the goals, but ultimately they serve themselves. And this can derail a team as you don't have the mentality of looking out for your mates and doing the little things first. Whereas a champion team is all about protecting their mate, doing the little things to further the team and to further that vision. And as Christians, that vision is loving the world and taking the gospel out there. And when we are united in ourselves and together, we take that message out. And then you look at the Pharisees. They're kind of the, the team of champions. They were educated, proficient in scripture, but narrow-minded and short-sighted to the big picture. It had to fit their parameters and be worth it for them. You know, Jesus is our coach. He came to seek and save the lost, to shower love and grace and mercy on his people. And as a church, we need to embrace and live that, not be pulled away from, being the, from what the heart of the team is because of the things that the world and people say. So a quick story on that. One of my high schools in Geelong had eight houses and they took inter-house competition fairly seriously. In year 10, uh, my house was in the house footy grand final. Um, and me being 15-year-old... Jimmy thought that I could take on the world and succeed. Now, I wasn't, I wasn't that good. Anyway, I took a mark um, not long before the end of the game and it was a fair way out and there was somebody that I could have passed to but I took the option of being selfish and going with my ego and taking the shot. Uh, and what happened is probably one of the more embarrassing moments of my life. I proceeded to actually kick the ground instead of the ball 
and the ball sort of just hit the ground and, and trickled away a little bit. And so trying to operate from a position of selfishness and the rejection, because I wanted to be cool in their eyes, so I'm like, I'm going to go back and sink this, and they're going to love me. I'm going to be put up on shoulders and celebrated, and that didn't work. And it brought my downfall and the downfall of my team. See, ultimately we were divided. Just one person takes a house to be divided, and we didn't stand. And so it was with what the Pharisees were suggesting was going on. Their suggestion that Jesus was casting out demons in the name of Satan was that Satan was essentially plotting his own downfall. Sounds crazy, yeah? See, Jesus was affirming his lordship and his authority and his power over darkness. But the Pharisees, in saying that it is only by Beelzebul that Jesus was driving out the demon, were suggesting that Satan was allowing his followers to attack him and give them a foothold in his destruction. Being so focused on rejecting Jesus, they didn't think through the ramifications of what they actually said. In verse 27, Jesus goes, And if I drive out demons by Beelzebul, by whom do your people drive them out? So in this simple statement, Jesus highlights the flaw in what the Pharisees were saying, and that a rejection of Jesus and the power of God was a rejection of their own position and all that they had actually been teaching their followers. Their suggestion of his actions being Satan while allowing their followers to do the same is bizarre and completely contrary to logic. And the world's the same sometimes. You know, I get criticised for my faith from family and from some friends without me even saying something. I just say, hey, yeah, I'm a Christian and smack, the world's straight there throwing out hate. But most of the time, the way that they throw out hate is the way that they say that Christians do it. They're doing it in the exact same thing and they can't see it. So the world is a place where this does happen. And again, Jesus understands it because it's happened to him right in this story. And the, the principle of a divided house not being able to stand remains. We can't fully serve God and can't fully experience his love if we are stuck in a place filled with lies, rejection and hurt the voice we listen to will become the reality that we experience. So if we are listening to the voices of rejection, despair, fear, inadequacy, that is the reality that we experience in life. And that reality, I am excited to say, is totally contrary to the reality that God has set in place for each and every one of us. We need to live from that place of victory that he has rather than the place of isolation that the world can leave us in. And verse 30, whoever is not with me is against me and whoever does not gather with me scatters. Again, Jesus is reiterating that principle. There can be no double-mindedness when it comes to following Jesus. There is no foot in both worlds. There's no gray area when it comes to serving Jesus. And I get it, sometimes safety is a rejection that we hold on to. You know, I've been involved with uni ministry like Gary has, and so I know that pain of you're trying to reach out to people and you just feel like you're bashing your head against a brick wall. You know, that happens, and so sometimes we we just decide, okay, I'm just going to stay in my little box. I'm not going to step out of that because it just brings me frustration. It brings me rejection. You see... We need to push our boundaries sometimes. 
See, Jesus didn't live in his own little box. Even though he was rejected by the Pharisees, he was rejected by the people, he was rejected by his own hometown, he still rocked the boat. He still stepped out. His followers still stepped out. So we need to take what's in the past and leave it in the past and actually stand tall and walk as children of God. And see, Joseph, the Technicolor Dreamcoat and Genesis variety, didn't let rejection get in his way. See, God came to him in a dream and told him that he would rule over his brothers. Now, it probably wasn't wise for teenage Joseph to go and tell his brothers that that was going to happen. Um, you know, I've got younger siblings, and if one of them came and told me that, I probably wouldn't react particularly well either, but I wouldn't sell them into slavery. So the thing is that through all the ups and downs and the 17-year wait, Joseph remained faithful. When he was rejected, lied about, forgotten, and left in jail... He refused to let those circumstances define him. Rather, he clung to God's promise and clung to his identity in God. In 2 Corinthians chapter 5, verse 20, we read that we are Christ's ambassadors. Now, an ambassador is an elected representative tasked with representing the party who elected them. Consider that for a moment. We are elected representatives of Jesus. How exciting is that? You know, it's scary, but it's exciting. Imagine the adventures. You know, this is the King of Kings, the creator of the universe, who has tasked us with representing him out in the world. That's pretty insane, and I love it. It's a great privilege, but with this privilege comes responsibility. We are required to speak on his behalf in the world. We cannot do that if we are a house divided. See, we need to free ourselves from our own rejection but also take off our safety goggles. Sometimes the person we need to reach will push us and will stretch us. And there might initially be some rejection there, but we need to do that. We are called to love others. And that means all in love. I mean, taking God and people seriously. Because I'm pretty sure Jesus took us seriously when he was nailed to the cross for our sin. And I'm giving myself a rev up here as much as anyone else. This is something that spurs me on. We need to live a life free from this hurt, from this rejection and this fear. You know, I, I understand the unworthiness and feeling that. You know, we struggle to love God because we have a flawed viewpoint of ourselves. I know I'm really driving this home, but I felt so pressed by this scripture and this notion. For so long, these things dictated who I was and what I would step up or step out for. But you know what? I've learned that God can use each and every one of us if we just come to him, leaving the lies, the hurt behind us. And I promise you all that right here, right now, because of what Jesus did on the cross, we are made worthy. God's love doesn't just tolerate us like society does. His love changes us. It helps us to love him, to love others, to love ourselves. And regardless of what the world says, what people say, and what Satan would have us believe about God and about ourselves, know this. Those opinions don't matter. We are defined by who we are in Jesus. That is our identity. We are loved by God and worthy to love him. 
no matter the past and what we feel, no matter how broken we are, we are worthy to love and to be loved. So I want you to repeat this after me and mean it. Make this a life statement to build your life on. I am worthy. See, understanding this lifts a weight off our shoulders. We aren't dictated to by the past, by people, by Satan, or by the world. See, scars only show us where we've been. They don't, however, dictate where we are going. And I love this. The past is the past for a reason. The adventure of life is ahead of us. We aren't designed to look back. Because of his stripes, it says in Isaiah 53, we are healed. All of our rejection is taken away and is replaced with love, life, hope and joy. 1 Peter 1.3 says that in his great mercy, he has given us new birth into a living hope through the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead. New birth into a living hope. That sounds pretty amazing. See, we have to move from this place of fear and rejection to step into that new birth and that living hope. So how can we do that? We need to acknowledge that the hard times will come. See, Satan doesn't want to lose, even though he already has, and he will throw lies and rejection in our path. But God says in 2 Corinthians 12, 9, that my grace is sufficient for you, for my power is made perfect in weakness. Ben, could you guys come up, please? But do we believe that, that the grace of God has power and is all that matters? See, he redeemed his people from captivity. He created this world for us. He made the sun stand still in the sky for his people. His perfect love cannot be overcome at any stage. He says in 1 Peter chapter 2, verse 9, that we are his special possession. We are all individually and together God's special possession. Do you believe that? And the thing about possessions is that they are given to us or we buy them. Either way, a price needs to be paid. In this case, God purchased our freedom and our redemption through the precious blood of Jesus. And so ways to combat the rejection and to be freed from it. The Word of God. You read in that, we discover who God is and we discover who we are in Him. Doing this, we can come together as a family and fellowship. We can be encouraged. We can be supported. We've got people who have been through the same or similar things and we can talk to them. You've got prayer. You know, God wants us to talk to Him. When we make Him a a priority and put Him above all of those things, then you'll see things start to break and things start to change. We need to have faith that God is a good Father and that He works things for good for those who love Him. Matthew 12, 31 to 37 is the same principles over and over. And you'll be able to read that in a few other scriptures in the coming week in the Harmony of the Gospels reading. See, we cannot produce life if we are confined to the darkness and the lives and the lies. We have the love and power of the Holy Spirit within us. We don't need anything else from this world or in this world. There's something and someone stronger that we have available to us is Jesus and the Holy Spirit. We are vessels for the living God. And as we come to a close this morning, I want to do a couple of things first. First, I want to read you the chorus of a song I wrote a few years ago. It goes, I found my strength, yes, I found it in the cross. 
released from my sin's burden, reminded that my God is just. My guarantee of salvation is found in the assurance, the assurance of God's love. See, our strength, our identity, our life, our everything is found in Jesus. The voices we listen to determine the reality we experience. So I'd encourage you to meditate on Philippians 4, 8 and 9 this week and read what it says to focus on. And that's all these adjectives reeled off about Jesus. And when we focus on that, we come from a position of strength in our faith to deal with what the world throws at us. And the final thing, and the band are going to play a worship song, is that there are pens and paper up here. And we've got a cross. We need to be active in letting go some of these things. So if you're willing, this isn't compulsory or anything like that. I want you to come and write down something that has held you back. A lie, a source of rejection, anything like that. Take a few minutes, then come and stand before the cross. And as you rip it up and throw it into the bin that will be put there, I want you to say, whether out loud or in your head, his rejection has brought my redemption. Today we are setting captives free and embracing our God-given identity as co-heirs with Christ in the Father's eternal kingdom. So, come. We're going to leave this open and you can come and, and do what you want to do with God here because he's doing some really cool stuff this morning. But if there's anyone here who is stuck in that rejection and doesn't know the love of Jesus, the, the blood that washes away all the fear, insecurity, while all eyes are closed and heads are bowed, if that's you who, and you want that love to, to just come and wash over you and free you from all of this, would you be brave enough to raise your hand and we can stand together and pray? See that hand, bless you. And alternatively, if you're here and you know Jesus, but there is something that is pulling you down, dragging you away from the fullness of His love, and you're not feeling like you're worthy, then we want to stand together and, and pray. You can come and see myself, Forbo, or any of the leaders here, and we'll pray for you. But together, I just want to say a quick prayer, and I want you to repeat after me. Father God, I thank you that your love washes everything clean. I thank you that Jesus came and while he was rejected, he brought my redemption. I thank you that by his stripes, I am healed. I am free from pain. I'm free from rejection and I can now live an abundant life in your kingdom. We all said, Amen. Why don't you stand as we sing? Just thinking about all the things that, that Jimmy's been preaching and if you want to you want to come up and write something down and, and just as a physical act to, to, to 
draw a line in the sand and say, I, I'm leaving this at the cross. I don't, I don't want to carry this anymore. That This is what Jesus died for, that, that we don't live in, in shame or in guilt or in rejection, that he took that all for us.